I'm all about building communities, celebrating unique journeys, and sharing stories about the paths people have taken to enter the tech industry. Join me as we explore the skills my guests have learned in their prior jobs, schooling, or life experiences, and how they apply them to their current roles in tech. On today's episode of We Belong Here, I chat with Lucy Suddenly, who is a white, able-bodied trans woman from the greater Seattle area. She got a BA in psychology and spent a decade in box office management before realizing that programming was her destiny. She switched careers after attending the Flatiron School and now works as a builds and deployment engineer at Outreach in Seattle. There wasn't much of an appetite to take risks on entry-level candidates like me. I don't think I would have gotten the job if the place weren't so inclusive. I'm your host, Lauren Lee, and this is We Belong Here, Lessons from Unconventional Paths to Tech. Lucy, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much. I'm so excited. I'm equally excited to be chatting with you. Let's start at the beginning, shall we? Sounds good. Okay, cool. So can you tell me more about the experiences that you had before you entered the tech industry? Yeah, so... Before I got my psychology degree, uh, I had a high school job, which was parking cars at an amphitheater. And I was so good at that, that they thought maybe uh, we'll have her take money too. And I was so good at that, that they figured, well, we better pull her in the box office. And I was so good at sorting will call that they trusted me with money again. And it just kind of going, it kept going that way until I was in charge of the box office. Uh, as the years went by. I'm like, oh, she's really great at this. And you're like, okay, yeah, I'll take the promotion. Sure. Yeah, yeah, right. Like I was, I was, I had a plan for my college and my degree, but I figured, hey, why not in the meantime? But there's a little bit of industry wisdom there, which is um, don't get sucked into working into a box office because you will never, ever leave. Why is that? Ah, gosh, I really don't know. It's the industry is so small and the labor pool is sub subsequently pretty small and the number of uh, positions is really small so if you can get a gig it's they're usually pretty stable you know there there's not a lot of candidates out there but what happened for me is I had a a major event in my life went through a depression and then uh, was uh, fired from a pretty big job I was I was managing box office ticketing for the west coast for broadway.com but once that happened the things I I mentioned earlier about uh, being a small industry with a small labor pool and a limited number of jobs everyone knows everybody it was real hard for me to get interviews or you know even find many many positions that were open even nationally well that's terrifying because yeah it's made up of it sounds like the space is made up of lifers if you will and so folks that are like yeah, we know this space really well. And we know, you know, what goes on at Broadway. And, mm-hmm. and oh, gosh, so you're then at what starting at ground zero again on something and be like, I guess I need it's time to pick a new career. I mean, that's pretty terrifying. Did you ever think about pursuing psychology? Because that was your school degree. Yeah, I definitely had that crisis, right? I was working full time, and I tried to get my master's degree. And then that's around the time everything fell apart. So I, I was trying to work toward that and then realized that psychology wasn't what I wanted to do along with the, it was a gosh, just a confluence of things, just so much change in my life uh, in my twenties, which I'm told is common. Ultimately a bachelor's in psychology isn't good enough. I didn't want to do a bunch more school. So that's actually what brought me to change careers was yeah, the just, you know, the, the small industry, lack of positions, everybody knew my name and that I had a crisis and uh, had to stop working, uh, which, you know, should be understandable. You know, I, I wish we had a little more humanity about these things, but right. Some empathy that we're humans and life happens and yeah. gosh, 
That's and and that you what suddenly because that you have to like start all over and find a totally new industry when it sounds like the box office space like was bringing you joy you were good at it and like you were skilled in it and I don't know that really sucks. I, and you know, I, it's it wasn't wasted time. You know, the time that I spent mm, being, of yeah, you know, being good at something and learning how to do it well develops some skills that are transferable, right? Oh my gosh, um, yeah, definitely want to dive into that today for sure. Yeah. Why specifically then did you get excited about code and why why find Flatiron? So growing up, I had dabbled with code quite a bit. In okay several oh, cool. ways. I had a 386, took a visual basic class in high school, edited my MySpace HTML, you know, just kind of tinkered. But at that time in my life, I wasn't aware that I was trans yet. And something that's really common for trans people is that they have a hard time envisioning themselves in the future when it comes to a career. That, that question of like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah, it's like, well, it's, it's confusing. I want to be a woman. Uh, you know, yeah, you're like, uh, and yeah, and what else beyond that? Who knows? I've got some other priorities going on. Sure, Pre precisely. And you know, navigating that cultural story that isn't told. Uh, you know, that narrative that you know that that yeah. I had to take care of some other things. But once I got all that figured out, I was able to really look inward and go, wow, I've kind of always done this. Working in the box offices, you know, typing on a command line. Mm -hmm. Anyway and a whole lot of other technical skills. And I thought, wow, why why mm. am I getting so vastly underpaid for technical work? Got it. Had this aha moment of, well, I, I guess I should stop that. Decided that I should, uh, I, I heard from a friend, a girlfriend that tech, quote unquote, was a little more friendly to trans women. Not maybe in the actuality that you really want, but it's at least a little more self-aware of its problems and is trying ostensibly, right? Sure, you'll find plenty of companies that are and plenty of them that are not. And so like anything, I'm sure it's just about finding the right community, right place to environment to learn in, et cetera. Absolutely. 100%. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's why you have your show, right? Is um... <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, this is yeah. all about, I mean, selfishly, I was a career transitioner and I was wanting to understand how other people were like framing this narrative to employers so that they saw our prior roles in other industries as assets because I came across too many people that understood it as detriments. And I found that to be super toxic. And so it's just been really fun, selfishly, you know, from that end of side of things to hear about how other people kind of frame that narrative, but also now like to celebrate those journeys and to really shout them from the rooftop and be like, heck yeah, we're making this industry better. Absolutely. And I can really respect a project that centers those kinds of stories. Very cool. So you attended Flatiron. How did you find that program both like, you know, to decide that that was the one to pursue, but then what was your experience like in that boot camp? Sure. When I researched, uh, well, okay, well, first I'll, I'll talk about how I arrived at the decision to attend a boot camp. I am, uh, well, until that point in my life, I was uh, a procrastinator, not very organized, didn't have uh, a lot of the, I mean, within the given structure, I, I, th I thrived, but like in my personal life, I was unable to provide myself that kind of structure. Sure. So the um, idea of like doing a self-taught journey, it's like, uh, I can relate to that for sure. Yeah, I don't. Um, <laughs> I, I love leisure and and play far too much to 
forced myself yep. to yep. Uh, turn <laughs> nothing right there with you. Yeah. <laughs> and I was able to get a loan trusting in my future, knowing that I would succeed. I thought that it was, it was probably the route that would most likely end successfully for me personally. S success being you know acquiring a job that was the uh parameter or like this yeah. this is i will be successful in this endeavor if i can land a gainfully employed role after this 100 percent, and that's how it started uh over the course of things i fell in love with programming and i you know rarely want to do anything else but it, initially at least I, I i thought what am i good at what will someone pay me well to do and how can i get myself into that situation as quickly as possible. Right. And so in the theory of like, okay, I was not being paid adequately in this in I was in a technical role in the box office industry. And so I I'm still passionate and curious about the tech space. So when you do a quick Google of, you know, who are the highest paid roles in that space, I'm sure then it was like, okay, that's the route to pursue. That makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's almost like you were over my shoulder. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'll just say this. Personally, like I, I came from poverty. I've never been in a place personally where even small emergencies are small because when there's no resources in your life, there's just no ability to, to really do anything. And so for me, going the, the lure of being in a place where I wasn't suffering daily, gosh, I hate to meditate too long on the poverty statistics in our country and the world at large and how many people live with you know this yawing depression that results from this mm -hmm. and like the human toll that that represents any one of us if given the opportunity might you know might take the opportunity to to crawl out if you can right and that's kind of that's kind of how i feel about it and how i thought about it then um and i'll talk more about yeah. that like what that means about how i conduct myself nowadays mm. like once we get to that part of the conversation but i definitely did see it as uh it was it was a survival choice i i worked odd jobs i worked box office window seller positions that i was vastly overqualified for it was do or die so yeah. um and i think that's like a totally completely 100 percent valid reason to enter the tech space and I think that there are some gatekeepers out there that say otherwise, that like you have to live and breathe and die for it. And it sounds like you do have a passion for code. And that's really incredible that that was like a byproduct of learning it. But I find it to be a bit toxic when we say, I mean, I have other passions in life beyond programming. And it's okay, I think, too, that I... I do it as a job and I learned because I knew that it would be, I was an English teacher before learning to code and I, you know, I couldn't afford the healthcare that I was needing. And so, you know, it's just, a, I don't know, it's a complicated thing and it's interesting. I, I'm excited to hear that you also like discovered a love for it too. I think that that's really great. I feel so lucky, right? That I can find some way to spend my time that I'm, I'm thrilled to get up at 8am in the morning and put my fingers on the keyboard. Which which sounds so nerdy, which is so weird. Uh, no, it's so incredible. I'm like so happy. I don't know for some reason I'm like beaming <laughs> hearing you say that though because it's just like it's lovely and wholesome and just like so rad. I'm so happy for you. That's great. I mean, like being able to think about something real hard and then write a logical story about it yeah. and then create something real that can 
make an impact in the world. Like, yeah, when you put it that way, it's like, why wouldn't you? Hello, We Belong Here listeners. Today's episode is sponsored by the new We Belong Here Discord community. I recently have been thinking about ways to continue the conversation with guests after each episode, to foster our community, share resources, and stay connected to both the guests and listeners. And I'm excited because we've created a We Belong Here Discord server. What is Discord, you might be asking? Well, it's a voice, video, and text communication service to talk and hang out with your friends and communities. I know, neat, right? It will be a place for us to connect, share resources, mentor, and build community together. Everyone is welcome, and it promises to be an incredibly inclusive space. It's important to me that everyone has an inclusive community where everyone feels welcome and supported, and this could be yours. If this sounds like something you'd be interested in joining, please do. The link to join is bit.ly slash WeBelongDiscord. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash WeBelongDiscord, D-I-S-C-O-R-D. Or find a link in my bio on Twitter or Instagram at LoloCoding. I'm super excited to see you there. So at that point, you realized, all right, I'm going to, I want to learn this and I want to learn it fast. And you then started like researching boot camps or what came next then? That really directed my thinking. So I, I thought boot camps are quicker than computer science degrees and they're about the same cost. So I found Flatiron, which had the guarantee at the time, I'm not sure if they do now, that if you graduate their program that you and follow their job searching regimen, that you will find a job within six months of graduation or your money back. And their job placement statistics that they published were very impressive. Uh, and they were ranked number one on all of the sites that I found that ranked by that metric, right? The success metric of, you know, has policies to support or data to underline their successes. So I went with Flatiron because I thought, well, if I don't get a job, then that's money back in my pocket that I can pay the rent with, keep job searching. Yeah. Why not take a risk on the sure thing? I think that's really smart. How did you find that program or how, what was your experience like in that program? Gosh, it was at a really magical time. I was in the first cohort of the Seattle campus in-person program. Cool. And at the time, I, I loved it. Like all the teachers were all starry-eyed. The campus administrators were all proud and excited. I'm and stoked to be there. Yeah, there's like energy in the air. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it was something special. And the people that wanted to be there, or the people that were there really wanted to be there. It was like the pent up market pressure. And so I made some what I assume will be long lived friendships because uh, they're still around a couple years later and learned enough in the way of how to code and also code culture and how to think about programming to start teaching at Flatiron. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I mean, most of the camps source from their own students, right? They they take the high performers mm -hmm. and they give them offers that are livable wages that are are decent, but not an engineer's wage, but enough to entice. And and and, and it's not just I, I say entice, mm -hmm. right? But th there are benefits for the teacher, right? Like I I spent a lot of time teaching, and when you are teaching, you're learning. The best way to learn something is to really 
help someone else understand it and break it down into the consumable chunks and every, yeah, I think that's an incredible idea. Did you enjoy that side of things or to, you know, putting on that teacher hat, if you will? Oh, I, I did student teaching in high school and loved it. And, and it's just that whole, gosh, I couldn't really envision myself as anything problem because I could have been a teacher in another life. I really loved it and miss it all the time. And I'm a squeaky wheel at outreach about enlarging our internship program so that I can insert myself into teaching again. Oh, that's great. <laughs> okay. So yeah. So bring me to today. Can you tell me more about what you do at outreach? I near the end of my Flatiron School teaching contract, I started interviewing and outreach gave me a chance. They say based on my, my in-person interview that I had when I talked to the folks that really advocated for me. I learned this later. Uh, the, uh, the folks that really advocated for me in the hiring debrief. They liked not only my performance there, but I had posted some of my lectures on YouTube. They watched some of my lectures and that was enough to convince them that a boot camp grad was a good hire. And the context of this is out outreach is in a phase where they don't do a lot of lower level hiring generally because their their business logic needs at this time are a little more specific. So we're, we're hiring a lot of experienced folks with specialties, which we realize that's a problem and and it's changing and and I'm really excited to be a part of that work but in the meantime at at the time there wasn't much of an appetite to take risks on entry level candidates like me so the the folks who did see whatever they saw in me right the that I can onboard quickly that I will be productive that I won't need too much handholding that I won't break anything. The people that really saw me and and I'll be honest, really make my workplace an inclusive place because they respect authenticity and those people who were willing to fight to give me a chance. I mean, I, it's kind of a chicken and egg problem. I don't think I would have gotten the job if the place weren't so inclusive and it wouldn't be as inclusive. I can't, I can't even say it right because it's so logically tied up. It's like so, <laughs> it's so tightly coupled. Like I wouldn't have gotten the job if it wasn't inclusive uh, already. Uh, so it's a really, it's something special. So the team I got hired onto was the builds and deploys team, originally called the dev tooling team. I, I, don't, I don't, you know how these restructures are, but I'm uh, primarily responsible for building continuous integration and continuous deployment tooling features. So managing patterns for app developers to easily get, you know, testing and benchmarking and build things set up for their new services and templates for pipelines to deploy them. And basically my job is for the CI CD, for, for outreach to CI CD to be as completely as invisible as possible. Like it, it should be like a set it and forget it situation where you can figure it once nice and easily. And then you just, you never have to question about how it works because it never breaks and it's always doing what it's supposed to be doing. It's really satisfying. Like I feel so lucky to have landed where I did, right? That the people who took a chance on me are also doing work that I find so deeply satisfying. My customers are other engineers. They're not the general public. So I get to ask them really technical questions and they can give me detailed requirements. The things that I build don't have to be absolutely 100% every edge case proofed in terms of user interaction. But you don't need to be distracted by that because the folks that are using the tool only care that it works, like that, you know, what's going on 
done behind the scenes. And so, yeah. Precisely. I, I can do CSS to like 80% good enough. Yeah, which is um, an awesome feeling. Being- <laughs> like, okay, I'm not going to obsess over this. And like, I really get to dive into the fun, meaty, interesting, engage- like just the fun part of it, this problem solving. And that's not to say that fo- I totally appreciate folks that are front end and are love the joy of that piece. But yeah, we all have things that are like excite us. And so- that sounds like a perfect fit. 100%. And I also ha- I have a ton of reverence for folks who can do that. Yeah. Like you said, that's just not my skill set. Like my, the place I prefer to spend time, you know, executing engineering excellence and being thorough and things like that is on the business logic and the invisibility of it. It's so exciting. It sounds like a really good fit for you. I'm so happy you found them. Gosh, just talking about this reminds me the only, in my boot camp that I did, the only assignment that I really enjoyed that had this front end CSS piece one was where they gave us a page and they said, okay, now match this one. <laughs> I just had to like to the T get it to match versus like, now come up with a beautiful website on your own. And I just like, feel like it's so hard. And I don't know, thinking about it again. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, yeah, I'm triggered. But anyhow. <laughs> um, no, you're right. They're completely different skills. Just, and different right brain, left brain. I don't know. Maybe it's that, but it just, yeah, it sounds like a really good fit. And yeah. it's like, I think it really speaks to like, take the time to in- interview right back so that you find the good fit because it feels so freaking incredible when you are on a team that you love versus like we hear horror stories all the time of people that have found themselves on you know tragic teams that they're not you know bad culture fit and then the the product that they're building or what they're doing they're not interested in and so I don't know I just think it's really important to spend some time like figuring out what it is you need and want and yeah like searching for it and there are those teams cultures companies out there that are going to be a good match and so don't settle 100 percent. you know i've had gosh such a gradient of different types of experiences like that right like there's such a barometer that you can feel in the room and you know worst case i've been laughed at because i'm a trans woman when i walked in the room there's a lot of small signals right that can let you know whether or not somewhere's going to be a good place or not and honestly like it's it sucked like i wasn't excited to run into someone who thought I was hilarious. I would much rather pay a little bit now than, like you said, get somehow past the hiring and then have to work under someone like that. Right. Say yes to that job and then be in that space every single day. I mean, ah, it's a nightmare. And so, yeah, it feels like it's coming from a place of privilege to say like, be choosy when you're searching. And it is like that. There is just value and and at least like taking the time to be very aware of what sort of things you are valuing and be on the lookout for that even in the job descriptions like you can do some sussing out in those as well oh yeah we've all seen those really awful ones you know they become they become (laughs) memes they're so awful awful yeah 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 oh my gosh so true okay so let's talk about the transferable skills you know how do you find that you know the things that you learned while being in the box office industry but also all the other odd odd jobs as you say you know being a ta in high school those sort of things how do you see them impacting your role as the software engineer at outreach yeah my time in the box office you know back in the day it was racks of paper tickets and a lot of manual counting and 
and processing, which we would recognize now as coding in after a fashion. And that has only gotten more complex as big players with lots of money like Ticketmaster have a lot of very smart people who are thinking of ways to maximize the income for every seat, right? Or every ticket sold. And that results in a great deal of complexity in price levels and promotional offers, you know, with marketing and bands and their labels and their production managers and all of the different groups associated with bringing a show to life all want their good seats, right? They all know people who are going to text them and say, hey, hook me up to the show. And so like you have to like there's a complexity there with like who's allowed to use which seating and what goes on sale when and the tech, the technical systems to track all of these have so many knobs and sliders. And it really is a, a very technical job to, to tell a computer how to correctly sell an event that is represented in the real world. Like it's it's uh, it's a it's a really complex abstraction. And so beyond the just regular tech technical administration of those things, you have to have the people skills to talk with the tour manager over email and then day of show when they're in your box office, jumping up and down, screaming at you because there was a problem. So so you've got the people skills, you've got the crisis management of day of show, financial pressures. There's the customer service skills of dealing with a customer base that is buying a it's not a luxury good, but it's damn close. Tickets are expensive. And then you have to be able to read contracts and translate that into technical information. So you've got people skills and contracting and crisis management and event management and customer service. And it's there's just like so many skills that you have to be excellent at in order to be successful. Yeah. So when you put it that way, I'm sure that a lot of those things end up you know, being a benefit in your role today. Yeah. You know, things like crunches to get feature shipped incidents those can come with feelings of urgency inside right feelings of like you're going to lose your job are associated with the fear of death and that's the scariest thing of all so that anxiety of like i need to ship this code or i need to fix this failing whatever can be a lot of internal pull and just having experience with the whole world melting down and remaining calm and continuing to pull the levers really helps. Yeah, the ability to stay like level-headed and say like, this isn't the end of the world. We're gonna get through this. It's just a bug. Let's figure out what's wrong. <laughs> Look at the log files. You know, it's just that sanity that, I mean, I personally definitely sometimes lose. So I'm sure that's very appreciated on your team. It also helps me stay cool when in microaggression situations, which is very helpful to me because... I'm I'm spicy. I in non-work situations, I will let you know exactly what just happened and why it can't happen again. But that kind of directness isn't like the the calling in process that is more productive in a working relationship. So I'm also managing my like I, I don't want to tone police myself. Like I'm hurt. I want to lash out at somebody. But having that crisis management is also also helps me uh, manage my hurt, right? And uh, respond in a way that is really productive in terms of building an environment where that is less likely to happen in the future to myself or others, which is the important. Absolutely, yeah. So that the team can be better moving forward. Yeah. 
That's fair. And then, of course, when I was at Broadway, I was um, settling contracts and negotiating things in terms of like line items and who's going to pay for what and the interpretations of the contract. And I know how to talk with vendors and stakeholders and customers. And I have experience hiring window sellers and doing management of personnel. I'm dangerous as far as the tech world is concerned. I have all these skills. It's like if I had gotten a CS degree, I, I would ha- I would have the recruiters would have lined up. Oh, that's incredible. I mean, yeah, it feels empowering to know how many tools you have in your back pocket, I imagine, too. To, you know, anytime going in for a job interview of like, yeah, just wait. You'll watch and see how much I'm going to surprise and delight you by all the different skills I have and like what I'm bringing to the table. And I think that that, you know, just like incredible. I think that's great. It, it really feels great. And every time... I accomplish something, I write it down for myself so I can remember it on the bad days and uh, reflect on how far I've come and then show it to other people, right? To say, no, I have value. Look, I did the thing. And so I'm, you know, as, as hopefully happens for everyone who is transitioning into tech, like now I found stability. I've been employed as an engineer for about a year, right? And that's like what I've heard and what I've seen and generally rings true. Like once you have a year of experience, it's some cliff or something like it, it it's much easier to get a job i hear so uh now that i've found that stability i i've really become the squeaky wheel for opening the door wider for the you know the next round and making sure i i do excellent technical work so uh no one has anything to say when i'm the squeaky wheel make sure all my ducks are in order so i can do this work absolutely no i think it's like i see it as a duty now that i'm in it i'm like okay and now i'm in a hiring manager position i'm like hell yeah, it's on. Like, this is awesome. Because now I get to ensure that the only people that make it past are, you know, awesome, incredible folks that are making this space better. And so, yeah, I just think it's it's a, a empowering thing to, I really appreciate you giving that piece of advice of keeping a log of those successes, though, because we're human, there are moments where it feels freaking awful in this industry, or like something is really hard and confusing. And I don't know, for some reason, it feels very easy for me personally, to forget about all the successes and like things I've learned in the past two or three years, etc. And so uh, just having something tangible to be able to go back to remind of where we've come and the journey itself is a great tip for listeners. So definitely encourage y'all to, if you haven't started, keep a highlight reel somewhere on your, on your, in a folder in your computer or physical one somewhere. It just, it's like and good emails you receive too. Just like, yeah, file it all away. And if you're anything like me and you like data and you have to prove to yourself that your imposter syndrome is wrong, I started keeping a daily diary of how many hours I worked what I accomplished that day, any blockers, any comments, and then used that Google Sheet as a backend for a React app and made word clouds of all of my logs and records so I could, the stuff that I worked out on stood out in like big relief. And it was like, like, you know, this, this represents like, like a, a data backed visual representation of like something that I worked on and that I know I accomplished, right? It's like such a great back loop to, to provide data for yourself. 
right? Because then, because then you, your imposter syndrome can't get any footing if, if there's charts and graphs. Right. It's like, oh, I see you trying to creep in, but allow me to present you this wordle. Well, I'm really pumped actually to see your like your you know once you hit that year mark, software engineering. Please publish that wordle. I think that's going to be so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe I will. Um, I mean, it just sounds, yeah, it's a great idea. I think that's brilliant. Yes. It's just, as you said, it's just nice to see it visually sometimes to in those dark moments of like, Hey, Hey, hold on there. Negative self-talk. We really do belong here. And you know, it, this is, I've worked hard and I've learned a lot. Let's remind that. And it's, it's the other side of the career transition story, right? Is the looking on the time that has passed is like the the after part, the before part seems like it's forever, right? When you when you're looking at that goal from far away and you're and you don't know how many years it's gonna take and you haven't taken your first step. It's like the other side of that, how long will this take? The other side of it is has it been long enough? Can you share any life lessons yeah. that you've learned from your transition to tech? One thing I learned was how to call people in productively. When you've been hurt by someone, it's easy to call them out, right? To name the harm. And that really puts people on the defensive, even if they're in the wrong. And in order to kind of sidestep that defensive feeling, you can call them in instead of calling them out. And by call in, I mean, you can say, or well, actually there's a couple different tactics, right? You can ask questions because if you can, if you can say something like, well, can you say a little bit more about that? Or you know, give people the opportunity to give voice to the things that they're saying in a more explicit way to help themselves come to an understanding that what they said wasn't okay, that that is a more, it's more effective. It's definitely more satisfying for me to call people out to be like, you are a racist. It's an immediate gratification thing, I imagine. But then like, I don't know, when you speak about this, like calling in, it's it's about building community at the same way too. It's it's saying like, hey, there's still space for you in my life. Like, let's work through this together is kind of how it sounds or how I'm hearing you. A hundred percent. You know, I don't put effort into people that I'm not interested in creating relationship. I wouldn't invest that energy otherwise. So when someone comes to that realization that they've said something harmful from inside, instead of feeling defensive because it was pointed out to them, they feel remorseful or they, they feel impelled to make it right, which is usually, since it's something verbal, usually in a, in a workplace, it's usually just to apologize. It's just say like, I'm sorry. And that does things for us cognitively, right? Like for us to find a new neural pathway to think a new way about something, and then to also feel regret and then also apologize. Those are deeply emotional things and emotional memories get encoded more effectively. Um, so instead of encoding defensive memories where people are angry and they feel like they're right to say these harmful things. They can learn a better way that works with their neurobiology that, you know, doesn't feel like an attack. Yeah. And then hopefully because it's been, it's a process in neurologically in a positive manner, there's in the future, there's change, a positive change. Yes, absolutely. And that's, gosh, that's such a powerful tool when you're working in a space uh, with many different types of people. Right. And it's especially useful to challenge the status quo and to disrupt the, the flow of power from in-groups to out-groups. That to me has been such a powerful revelation for me personally, because now in my personal life, I can take a pause and say, okay, do I want to be effective? Do I really care about this person? You know, I can ask, like you alluded to, you know, do I care about investing in this person? And then if I decide the answer is yes, it's real easy for me to 
put that hat on and call them in. If I don't care otherwise, then I will be happy to, you know, call them a trans misogynist or what, uh, whatever the case is. So you're kind of speaking to it already. But can you tell me about a time you felt like an outsider and, and how you deal with those feelings? Yeah, there's this, uh, I call it the phenomenon. It's um, oftentimes when I meet new people, I experience the phenomenon, which is to say this reaction that is that says to me, I have never directly interacted with a trans woman before and I don't know how to act, which is fair. Our culture tells these stories about trans women that we're predators, that we are deviants, that we're scary. And so when you're faced with very friendly Lucy uh, and I'm like, hi, I'm Lucy, like uh, it's my first aid outreach. It's really nice to meet you. You can see the cognitive dissonance happening for some people. Uh, I was less than a person when they first perceived me and now I'm a whole person. And it's, you know, it, it hurts me, you know, to be perceived as an other and to have someone do some quick math that I can see on their face to, to treat me like a human being, right? Like I, I try not to take it personally because there was a time in my life when I didn't know what a trans woman was and had never interacted with, with any of, with any trans, any trans person of any kind. And so like I, you know, the, I was once there empathy kicks in. And I know the antidote to those sorts of things is just familiarity. So I just shrug it off as best I can and keep shining and it goes away. But, you know, when you move into a space like a a new job and that happens over and over and over again, it can be a lot to deal with. You know, I can shrug it off maybe once or twice, but when it happens a bunch of times in a day, it's like, well, y'all are real good at making a girl feel... uh... like uh like an outsider so right and then also be new and like a you know first time role and like add all of that stress on top of it like that's a lot to handle yeah the way i deal with it is to just have have empathy and I, I continued that empathy i realized that outreach needed an official resource for how to do trans inclusion right like trans 101 and so i founded a little trans employee resource group And uh, we put together a Trans 101, which I delivered to more than half of the company. It has become like, I'm amazed. I think it's amazing. I like the fact that more than half of this large company showed up and actually cares about trans inclusion is mind boggling. The trans group went on to, I I barely had a part in it, um, in producing Trans 201. And I think now the trans headcount at Outreach is now overrepresented. It's delightful. I, gosh, I have every week. I love my job. Oh my gosh. It, it feels so fun to speak to people on this that like absolutely are, you know, in the right place. And it is, you know, I, I just hope, you know, I'll include their link in the show notes, but folks like, let's keep an eye out for them. This is the sort of whisper network that we all need to really yell from the mountaintops wait that's not the idiom shout from whatever I said I'm bad at cliches but it's like we need to share when places are awesome and we need to wait for you know when there's an open role let's all go for you know figure out a way to or make our cultures and communities similar to this but like I think it's really cool to be able to highlight when places are awesome and if I could whisper outreach's name from the mountains I've only been embraced. Uh, I'm very squeaky and I'm a harsh critic and everyone takes me really seriously. Right. 
versus being like, I want to squeak, but then them saying like, uh, this, there's in place for complaining about that or, or pointing that out, you know, we have a bottom line that we have to hustle towards and yeah, I don't know. There's, I've definitely seen the other sorts of responses than that. Absolutely. I'm so thankful to work in a place where the response to microaggressions isn't, you know, retaliation to the reporter, but it's, you know, it, the response is to send them a link to inclusivity training. Yeah. Instead to be like, Hey, let's learn from this. And like, we're going to invest in your education so that you can level up as a person and, you know, like become more inclusive in your thinking, because we, you know, we don't want to dismiss you and say that, I don't know, there's just something really interesting about that tactic. And I love it. I, I'm kind of thinking that maybe it, I'm sure there's resources out there of like places or listservs of awesome places to work, but maybe adding to the, we belong here website, just like, you know, places that we know are incredible so that folks, you know, when there is a job opening or something, just a resource that kind of lives on for a longer term. So something like that. I think that is just a, I, we, I speak to so many people that are looking for roles and, uh, you know, you want to make sure that they end up at great places. I think that we are just beginning to see a groundswell of individuals and small organizations that are leading the charge for that work to surface folks from underrepresented minorities from, you know, different career backgrounds to elevate the kind of resources that they need to boost their visibility to employers. I'm really excited about what the future looks like. Hello, We Belong Here listeners. Imagine a job where you can work whenever you want, on whatever you want, from wherever you want. Hello, white sand beaches of Thailand or the comfort of your own couch. Oh, and you're your own boss. Now, what if I told you that dream could become your reality? This is the life of a freelancer, and with some hard work and the help of Hectic, it could be your life too. Hectic is an all-in-one business management software built specifically for freelancers who are just getting started or looking to take their freelance business to the next level. Hectic is everything a freelancer needs to get started, from an easy-to-use contracts and proposal builder to client management and project tracking to expenses and invoices that features click-to-pay technology that makes it quick and easy for freelancers to get paid. Built specifically for freelancers, Hectic is everything you need to get started. Visit gethecticapp.com slash webelonghere to learn more and start for free. Yep, adding your first client on the platform will always be free. And if you sign up through the gethecticapp.com slash webelonghere, you'll be supporting me in this podcast because who couldn't use a little extra support right now? Visit gethecticapp.com slash webelonghere to find everything you need to start or grow your freelancing business today and put those in-demand skills to good use in the way you've always dreamed of. Do you have any advice for those that are wanting to make the jump into tech that you can share? You have to believe in yourself and be authentic and just like throw yourself at it. Engineering zeros and ones has its basis in physics. You are continuing the work of a long line of thinkers and scientists. And it might seem like all the work's done and all the things are thought of, but the table is only getting bigger. There's room for you here. 
and you can do it. I love that. Make your shout out. What would you like listeners to go check out? I'd actually like to offer myself as a resource. I don't know if that's weird, but if anybody wants to chat about trans stuff or about job transition stuff or like how to break into tech, I help people with that on Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever platform. Google me. I'm the only Lucy suddenly there is. I don't know about referrals to outreach. That I don't want to blanket open that up, but I'm happy to help with resumes, code reviews, algorithms. Oh, well, thank you so much for being available and making yourself a readily accessible resource that, you know, wants to, you know, help folks on their journey. Uh, where where can people find you online? Yeah, they can Google me. My name is Lucy Suddenly. I'm the only one. And you'll be able to find my Twitter, my LinkedIn, all that good stuff. I love it. Oh, okay. Well, great. Thank you so much again, Lucy, for sharing your journey to tech and your story and your wisdom, your advice. And I am so excited to and happy that I was able to chat with you today. Thank you again. Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. I had a lot of fun. Okay. Talk to you soon. And that's a wrap on today's episode. I'm Lauren Lee. Thank you for listening to We Belong Here. If you have any questions about this or any other episode, find me on Twitter at Lolo Coding. That's L-O-L-O-C-O-D-I-N-G. Shoot me an email or leave a comment on the We Belong Here website. If you enjoyed this episode, please, please, please subscribe and review the show on your podcast player of choice. And be sure to check us out next week for another story and lessons learned from an unconventional path to tech.